2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall be, go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them and showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in the house or all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house, that there is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Fear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. God bless the preaching of his word. Once again, this Sunday, I have a handout prepared for you. I don't use them frequently on Sunday mornings, but when we are in some rather complicated and lengthy passages, I like to use them. So if there's anyone who's in need of a handout, would you raise your hand and uh, someone will come around and, and supply you with one. All right, there are a few over here. Uh, Pierre, if you would keep your hands up until uh, they reach uh, uh, Glenn up front here. And also to this side over here. 
As we work our way through this handout, uh, also let me say that I sent out an email for you to read various portions of scripture in preparation for this morning. If you'd like to receive those emails as to what the passage of scripture is going to be, uh, please let us know. But uh, if you've received that email you, and uh, have read it, you know that there are uh, three passages in the scriptures that all deal with the same subject. They are in 2 Kings, they are in 2 Chronicles, and the book of Isaiah. And so there's this interaction of these three narratives that becomes very instructive and helpful to us. So this morning I'm going to be going back and forth between these narratives in order to give us the whole picture of what is taking place. This morning I want us to think about our eventual death we all are going to die sometime if the Lord does not return first. So how are we to think about our death? And in particular, what should our response be to the thought that we are going to die? The theme is, how are we to respond to the reality of our approaching death? In our narrative, in our text, King Hezekiah is gravely ill. Now, in many of these sections, I'm just going to read the bold print. You've got the whole verse, so you can see the context if you want to go back and look at it. But for the sake of time, you can see this is a lengthy handout. Many of these, I'm just going to be reading the bold print. So, in our text, King Hezekiah is gravely ill. 2 Kings 20, verse 1, In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. Isaiah informs Hezekiah that Hezekiah is about to die. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, You shall die. You shall not recover. One can wonder, what goes through a person's mind when they are told that they are about to die? Some of you know my story and how I had a heart situation when I was in my very early 20s, and was told by a doctor that I probably wouldn't live the night. Well, it's an interesting response that I had at the time, and I'm sure uh, if you have been in a situation like that, it creates a certain response as well. Think about it. If someone were to tell you that you have a terminal illness of which you are not going to recover, what would your response be? Well, the reason that Hezekiah is told that he's about to die is so that he can adequately prepare for his death. He's given the instruction in verse 1 to set your house in order. Set your house in order. That is, make preparations for your death. Sometimes we know that death is imminent, that can be a real blessing. It gives us opportunity to prepare for our death. In other situations, death comes very suddenly or unexpectedly. That too can be a blessing. That is often associated with a more peaceful death. Some people want to just kind of go to sleep and never wake up. That's a very nice way to die. Other people know that they're suffering, they have hardships, and they are going to die. Either way, 
we know that eventually we're going to die. The scripture tells us that it's wise to prepare for death's eventuality. Psalm 90, verse 10, it says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So we should always remember that we are eventually going to die, and we should have that in the back of our mind so that we live wisely, that we recognize that there is a day coming in which we are going to be in the presence of God. We need to be ready to die. The need to prepare for death is seen in the admonition in our text to Hezekiah to set his house in order. That is, get ready to die. So what kind of arrangements do we need to make in order to prepare to die? Certainly some of these things are applicable to Hezekiah, some of them to us. Well, first, we want to make sure that we're right with the Lord. We want to know that we are in a saving relationship to, to Jesus Christ, that we're ready to meet him as it were, when, when we die. So as we think about preparing for death, the most important thing is, have we ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Secondly, we want to make sure that our, our loved ones are provided for. Even Jesus on the cross was concerned about his own mother and entrusted her to the care of John and he said to John, behold, your mother, here is the one that you are to care for. So we need to be concerned about caring for our family. That has a lot of connotation to it. It's talking about providing for them financially. It's providing for them emotionally. It's making decisions with their well-being in view. Thirdly, we want to mend any broken relationships. We want to make things right with people we don't want to go to our grave alienated from others so that they have ongoing regrets or remorse, but we want to tie up those loose ends. We want to be sure to communicate all that we want to communicate to our loved ones. We want to tell them that we love them. We want to tell them the things that are important to us, the things that they need to continue to reflect upon. We want to know that, that they, our children, have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we want to have those important, intimate talks. All of that is involved with preparing for death, and there's more to be sure. So God graciously tells Hezekiah that he's about to die so that he can get his house in order and he can prepare for death. Hezekiah's response to the news of his coming death was that he was moved to tears. Second Kings 20, verse 3, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. He took the announcement of his approaching death as terrible news, as I would imagine many of us would. He did not want to die. And we may ask ourselves the question, well, who does want to die? Who is looking forward to hearing the news that, that we are not going to get better? For Hezekiah, the thought of his dying brought him much pain and anguish. It's a strong word that says that he wept bitterly, bitterly. He sobbed openly, groaned, moaned, and had all kinds of 
anxieties and fears and concerns that were associated with his approaching death. He wept bitterly. So Hezekiah calls upon the Lord in verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He brought this situation before God, and Hezekiah doesn't want to die. And Hezekiah, in essence, is asking God to spare him because of a life well lived. Verse 3. Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. It is a common idea to believe that we are not being treated well if we are about to die. We might feel that we deserve better. We might ask the question, why is this happening to me? Isaiah, excuse me, Hezekiah is pleading before God his good works and his faithfulness and and saying, God, why am I dying? Look at all the good that I have done. We might think of all the things we're going to miss out on. That's especially true if we die a young death. We lament sometimes when young people die and we we think of all the things that they, they aren't going to experience, perhaps not marriage or not having children or, or not having other blessings that we associate with life. Well, he's weeping bitterly. He's praying to God. And remarkably, God immediately responds to Hezekiah's prayer. Virtually no time passes from the time that Hezekiah offers his prayer and the Lord's response. Notice verse 4. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. Isaiah had not even left the palace when God stops Isaiah in his tracks. So here we have this immediate response on the part of God. And the Lord has another message for Isaiah to give to Hezekiah. Verse 5, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, see, God has paid attention to Hezekiah's request. I have heard your prayer. That's very significant. This is what is motivating the activity of God at this point. He says, I have heard your prayer. I've listened. I've taken note. I've heard your prayer, and he conveys that God had pity upon Hezekiah. I've seen your tears. I'm well aware of your misery, your your hardship, your, your response. So God is wonderfully, graciously going to grant Hezekiah's request. Behold, look at this. Think about this. Behold, consider I will heal you. As a response, Hezekiah is to go to the temple to worship and give thanks to God on the third day. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. God even tells Hezekiah how much more time God is going to give Hezekiah to live. Tells us in verse 5, I will add 15 years to your life. So not only is he going to get better, but he's going to continue to live, and he tells him exactly how long. I'll give you another 15 years. Not only will God spare Hezekiah, but the city as well. 
Verse 6, I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Five, God will act to his honor and glory in accordance with his promises for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. That's ultimately what is motivating God. We're just working through the the story, and then we'll come back and, and make some application. It appears that God heals Hezekiah through natural means. Verse 7. Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Well, Hezekiah wants proof that God is going to do as he says. And so in verse 8, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And I shall go to the house of the Lord on the third day. Kind of bold to be asking for a sign for God to prove that his word is reliable and true. But Isaiah offers proof to Hezekiah that God's word can be trusted, even though it will only be three days until Hezekiah recovers. So in his impatience, uh, he wants immediate proof that he's going to get better, even though it's only three days until he's going to be up and out of the bed and worshiping in the temple. So, verse 9. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. All right. Here's the sign that you asked for that God is going to do what he says. And then Isaiah even offers Hezekiah a choice when it comes to the sign that God will perform. Not only will God give him a sign, but he can choose what that sign will be. Verse 9, shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? We're talking about the shadow that comes from the sun. And the steps could either be the steps of the palace or it could be referring to the steps on a sundial. But the point is that there's going to be a demonstrable activity that is quite unique with regard to the sun. Either it's going to go 10 degrees forward, the shade, or it's going to go 10 degrees backwards. Hezekiah chooses to make it as difficult as possible for God so that there is no doubt concerning God's power and design. So he says in verse 10, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. I'm not so sure that's true, but that's what he says. It's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. Well, God fulfills the sign. Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So God performs the sign. As we think about the application of this first section, there are numerous interesting questions to ponder. And I'm going to bring them up and I'm not going to be answering them, but I'm saying these are things to consider and it's a worth and a value. One of the reasons I'm not going to be answering all of them is because the text doesn't answer them specifically and I want to look at what the text deals with. But let me just say in general that I find it to be very valuable when I'm looking at a portion of scripture and it raises questions in my mind uh, to keep a little notebook of, of the question 
and then look for answers uh, as I read the scripture in its totality. What portions of scripture speak to the questions that, that are being raised in my mind? For example, A, if there was a remedy available to heal Hezekiah, why didn't God point that out instead of saying that Hezekiah would die? Why didn't he just say there is a big plant that can be placed upon this spoil and you're going to recover? Why didn't he do that? Why does God seemingly change his mind? God declares that he is going to do one thing and that Hezekiah is going to die. That turns around and Hezekiah doesn't die and is actually given 15 more years to live. So, does God change his mind? Is God wishy-washy in what he declares and says? Uh, is his will open for debate? Uh, what are we to think about God changing his mind? Thirdly, does prayer have the power to alter the will of God? God says that he heard the prayer, he saw the tears. So do our prayers offered in faith have the power to change and alter the will of God? What he declares will take place. Is that given to us in the authority of prayer? D. Why did God grant Hezekiah's request? Why did he relent? Why did he do what he says we will, he will do? Now, there are some hints. We're going to look at some things a little more specifically. E, why did God use ordinary means to heal Hezekiah and at the same time provide a miraculous sign? It's a strange combination, isn't it? He provide, he's going to heal him using a natural medicine, but to demonstrate that this is his will and his power, he's going to perform a miracle of moving the shadow of the sun 10 degrees backwards. So why does he use a common ailment medicine and yet at the same time perform a miracle? F, instead of offering a sign that Hezekiah would be healed in three days, why not simply heal him immediately? All right, if he's saying, how do I know that you're going to be healed? How, how do I know that God has the power to do it? Well, why not snap his fingers and he's healed? Why the whole process of going through the natural healing and yet giving him a miraculous sign. And I'm just wetting the iceberg here of all the questions that could be drawn from this passage. It wouldn't be hard to come up with 30 of, of things to contemplate philosophically, theologically, practically, as we look at a passage such as this. Now, obviously, I can't deal with 30 things 
this morning. And all those things I've already discussed would require a series, I think, to try to answer them fully and, and correctly. But instead, I point out in answering these, these questions, we must ask ourselves the following. What insights are granted to us in this text and the parallel accounts? In other words, what is God directing our attention to? What should the takeaway be as we let our minds grapple with what this text is, is saying? What, what does God want us to be reflecting upon? What is the question that he wants us to be answering as we look at this passage? Number two, what is it that Hezekiah and we are to learn from this incident? What's to be the takeaway? What's, what's the, the real application, if you will? Why is it here? Why did this event happen? What is God doing in this entire account? Well, to answer that, number three, we have to ask the question, what does the scripture emphasize? What is the Bible telling us? So we have to look at the text. We have to look at where the attention is drawn in the scriptures themselves. Which brings us then to Roman numeral six. The story that follows is directly connected to the account of Hezekiah's prayer and healing. It tells us in verse 12, at that time, at that time, it wants us to see a connection between what has just happened with this healing event and now what is going to take place with this envoy that is coming. They are directly related. That's important to understand. Directly related, A. A diplomatic entourage is sent from the Babylonian officials to Hezekiah. Herodic Baladan sent envoys to Hezekiah. Now, this envoy, these, this, uh, these envoys, these diplomats, these representatives, come with communications. Where it tells us in verse twelve that this envoy came with letters, with letters. So what are these letters? Uh, are they congratulatory? You know, they're, they're not get well cards because he's gotten better. But are these celebratory cards saying, that's great, we're happy. May God give you more good years, whatever. What are these letters that accompany this envoy? Or is there more substance to these letters? Secondly, they come with a present. Sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. Now remember, Hezekiah is better. He's, he's healed. Uh, he's no longer on his deathbed. A lot of times when, when people visit those that have been sick or get better, you know, they, they bring a, a, a fruit basket or you know, a young person, a teddy bear or, or something to say, here's a gift, here's a present. Well, we're not to think about this present in, in, in that light. For the Hebrew word that is rendered present 
is often translated as an offering, to present an offering. And it would appear that that, that is what is taking place in this passage, that they're bringing an offering. And I'll tell you more of why that is true as we work our way through this. There is another Hebrew word that is more commonly translated as gift. So if it wanted to simply say they brought a gift, there'd be a better way to say it. Rather, they are bringing an offering. Most likely, these men came with an offering that was given to Hezekiah. Thus, there is a religious connotation here. Now, in his pride, Hezekiah shows off all of his accomplishments, verse 13. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, his armory, his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show him. Notice all the pronouns his. The treasures in his house, his armory, his storehouses, his house, all his realm. So Hezekiah is asked two questions by Isaiah after Hezekiah had shown him all these things. Hezekiah is asked two questions by Isaiah. The first question is in two parts. The first is, what do these men want to know? Notice verse 14. What did these men say? What, what do these guys talk about when they came, Hezekiah? What do they want to know? The second part of the question is, where did they come from? And from where did they come to you? Well, Hezekiah only answers the second part of the question. Notice verse 14. Then Isaiah was... The prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, first, what do these men say? Secondly, from where do they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they came from a far country, from Babylon. Notice he doesn't answer the first question. He ignores the question, what did they say? Or he does not want to get into that response. He doesn't want to address that. He doesn't want to speak to that. Why that is important, we'll discover in a moment. The second question that Isaiah asks is, what did they see? What did you show them? What have you revealed to them? And it says, he said, what have you seen in your house? The Hezekiah's answer is, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Right? So now, in order to understand what's going on, we, we need to flip the page and go to Second Chronicles, for Second Chronicles gives us some very important insight as to what is actually taking place here. And we're not making this up. The scripture tells us this very clearly. Number five, Second Chronicles gives us more information concerning this envoy that was sent to Hezekiah. In particular, it tells us why they were sent. 
And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. That's what was in the letters. That is what they said. We want to know about this sign. We want to know about this, this miracle. What happened that this sun moved backwards? And what does that have to do with your being healed? That was what was in the forefront of their minds. That's what drove them to Hezekiah. What in the world is going on here? This sun has moved backwards. Hey, they were sent to ask questions about the sign that had taken place at the time of Hezekiah's recovery. What was the miracle associated with the king's recovery all about? Number six, furthermore, in 2 Chronicles, we learn the spiritual significance of what is taking place. God used that occasion to reveal what was going on in the heart of Hezekiah. For 2 Chronicles 32 tells us, And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. So God did not restrain Hezekiah or prevent Hezekiah from wrongdoing. God left Hezekiah to his own ways and his own thoughts. He wanted to reveal what was really in the heart and the mind of Hezekiah. And we find out that Hezekiah had not responded to all that God had done for him in the manner that Hezekiah should have responded. For it tells us in verse 25, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. He didn't respond in an appropriate manner in conjunction with the benefit that had been done to him. He didn't respond the way that he should have. Hezekiah does not give God the glory that he should have given him. See, we find that Hezekiah's response to all that had taken place was to be proud. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. That's why he didn't, because he became proud through this particular instance and circumstance. And in his pride, he took credit for all that God had done as opposed to giving God the glory. The response that Hezekiah was to make was to worship God. Notice 2 Kings 20, verse 5. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go to the house of the Lord. The proper response is, once you are better, you are to hightail it to the house of the Lord. You are to worship. You are to give thanks. You are to give glory to God for all that he has done. Well, he probably did go up to the house of the Lord and worshiped and gave thanks. What he failed to do 
was lead these men who had gone to him to worship the Lord. He doesn't take them to the temple. He doesn't speak of God. Rather, he gives them a guided tour of all that he was able to access, all that he was able to accumulate, all that he was able to do. He showed them his house. He showed them his wares. He showed them his riches. He showed them all these things that, that he had gotten for himself. Now, in taking credit, he probably did not say it was I who caused the shadow to turn or move backwards. Or, you know, they did ask him about that. But he might have said something like, due to my faith, the shadow moved backwards. Or, because I'm a faithful follower of God, the sun moved backwards. In some way, in some way, the attention was drawn to himself and not to God. For what Hezekiah did was clearly worthy of God's judgment, verse 25. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. So God is angered. That's very, very clear. It was an inappropriate response. That's very clear. He didn't respond the way that he should. And it's very clear that he responded in pride. Application. In what ways do we draw attention to ourselves for the things that God has done? God had done this great sign to reveal himself and his glory and his power. What does God do in our lives that we, in essence, take credit for rather than giving honor and glory to God? In our ministries, when they are praised, do we give honor and glory to God or, or do we take that praises unto ourselves as though it's by our ingenuity or it's by our power or it's by our faithfulness that, that all these things have transpired and come to pass? Do we pat ourselves on the back or do we point and direct others to God? How often we are silent in giving God the glory for the things that he has done for us. Those times that God does heal us, those times in which God answers our prayers, do, do people, you know, when, when they hear about the fact that we've gotten better, do we, we just simply talk about the wonderful position that we have or the incredible medications that are present? He was healed in a natural means, but it's clear that it was God who brought that healing to pass. And apart from God's blessing and intervention, that, that healing wouldn't have happened. Do we give glory to God or are we silent about what God is doing in our lives and the answers to prayer that he gives? Gee, now we discover God's take on all of this. 2 Kings 20, 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Hey, all that Hezekiah has will be taken away from him. Everything that he showed, that's going to be, that's going to be gone. B, 
The book of Chronicles provides us with the additional information that Hezekiah repents of his pride when he hears of God's judgment. It's in Chronicles 32.25. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Hezekiah in Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, that's found in Isaiah chapter 38, and I just don't have time to go through all of that. But, but he humbled himself, acknowledged his sinfulness, acknowledged his pride, acknowledged the fact that he hadn't done what God had intended for him to do, etc. See, therefore, these events would not take place in his lifetime. So the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him in the days of Hezekiah. Because he repented, all these things that God says is going to happen was going to happen, but not in Hezekiah's lifetime. So now we pick up the narrative back in 2 Kings, which comes after Hezekiah's humbling himself and hearing that the difficulties will come not in Hezekiah's lifetime. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. That's Hezekiah's response. Then he has what at first glimpse appears to be a very selfish and self-centered response, for he thought, why not, if there be peace and security in my days? <laughs> That's all right. Talk about judgment to come. That's okay. At least I don't have to go through it. Now, who cares about what my kids are going to have to face and what they're going to go through? What's the significance of that statement? So what are we to take away from this passage? What about these strange events? A. Perhaps it would have been better if Hezekiah had not lived the extra 15 years. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet who ministered to Hezekiah throughout his lifetime gives us an important insight into the death of a believer. There is much that escapes our notice in the death of a believer. Isaiah 57, 1. Now all this comes after these events with Hezekiah. And I believe that as you work your way through Isaiah, we, we have this unfolding of this incredible plan of God. In Isaiah 57, 1, it says, The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. They, they don't think about it. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. People don't take time to reflect. They, they don't take time to think, is what it's saying, about the death of a righteous person. Three, in particular, what escapes our notice is that the believer's death means that he or she is spared from future suffering, heartache, and misery, and sin that takes place in this life. Notice verse 1. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. The righteous person is taken away from evil, hardship, difficulty. Now, we get it when a person has been suffering a great deal of pain or, 
or suffering or hardship, we comfort ourselves on the death of a believer and saying, well, his suffering is over. So that becomes pretty obvious to us. Everybody gets that one. But so too, even Hezekiah welcomed death when it meant the escape from the poverty, bondage, and loss of his kingdom. The real Lord that you have spoken is good. He's, he's talking about Hezekiah's death, but he's saying, but, but these things are going to happen after you die. And he says, okay, that's good. Now he's ready to accept his death because it's going to mean that he's not going to have to go through all these other things. He doesn't weep bitterly. No, he, he welcomes it at that point. B, for the believer to be in the presence of God is better than this life without exception. Isaiah 57.2 says he enters into peace. It's talking about the death of the righteous. He enters into peace. The apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and you know the next part, to die is gain. May I submit to you that death is always gain if you're a child of God? That to be in the presence of God and all the blessings that are associated with eternal life, no more pain, no more suffering, you know the verses, that even a young person who dies in good health It's better for them to be in the presence of God than anything that they're going to miss out on in this life. No one who goes to heaven is going to long for being back on this earth and wish they could live out another 30 years. Ain't going to happen. Such thoughts should bring the believer comfort as he, she lies in her, his, her deathbed, uh, in his, her bed, whether or not it is her deathbed. Notice Isaiah 57, 2. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. What an interesting phrase. They rest in their beds. Isaiah, on his deathbed, is weeping bitterly. That's not to say that we enter in the presence of God and, and there aren't confusing thoughts, there aren't mixed emotions, and there aren't tears that flow. But this undue anguish and, and bitterness and, and being upset at the thought of dying, Isaiah says, People don't lay it to heart. People don't think about it. Hezekiah wasn't reflecting on what it meant to be in the presence of God, and he wasn't contemplating what the future might look like if he stayed on earth. He didn't contemplate the pride that would come. Conclusion. A, it's okay to pray for healing when we're sick. We're not saying that. Uh, you certainly are, are able to do that. However, 
our response to the thought of dying ought not to be bitter. One thing to, to pray, to recover, it's quite another to have this sense of bitterness, anguish, uh, being upset with God about our being about to die. Third, when God answers our prayers, it's not a result of a reward of our goodness. If you picked up on it early on when Hezekiah was offering his prayer, he was recounting the things that he had done. He was talking about how he lived faithfully. He was talking about his accomplishments. God says, I heard your prayer because I had pity on you. And because of my faithfulness, my goodness, I've answered your prayer. But you see, Hezekiah totally missed that. He continued on with thinking that God had answered his prayer because he was so faithful. Because he was deserving. Because he had accomplished so much. And so when this envoy comes and asks the question, why did this son not continue forward? Why did it move back 10 degrees? Silent as to what he said, but it's obvious as to what he communicated, or he just shows them around and talks about all his accomplishments and shows that everything he's got done. This is why I'm deserving. I'm deserving. He, he thought that his righteousness had merited his healing, and further, that his great trust had accomplished a miracle. We must be careful that we do not attribute God's blessing or using us as a result of our own goodness. It's amazing how often God's people take credit for the work that God has accomplished. In God's leaving Hezekiah alone and the resulting failure of Hezekiah, we learned that it was God's grace that had kept Hezekiah all along. Further, it was God's grace that had produced the trust in Hezekiah's heart. And it was God's grace that brought Hezekiah to a repentance. He humbled himself. Why? Because God revealed himself to Hezekiah. Because God continued to be gracious to Hezekiah. God's purpose in all of this was to bring honor and glory to himself that all the world might see. power of God. And even this foreign nation, Babylon, which is going to eventually come and take away the city of Jerusalem, this foreign city, Babylon, is given a witness of the power and grace of God and they come to Hezekiah and they say, what does this mean? This miracle that took place. What do we understand from that? And Hezekiah doesn't point them to the Lord. Rather, 
he draws attention to himself. May we be very careful that when God is doing a work in the heart and life of an individual, may we be quick to respond with the message of the gospel. May we not draw attention to ourselves, but to to him. May we always acknowledge that God answers our prayers because of his grace and his goodness, not because of who we are or our faith. So may we have the proper response. This text tells us very plainly that Hezekiah did not have the proper response. What is the proper response? One, praise. Two, thankfulness. Three, humility. And fourth, a faithfulness in pointing others to Christ. May God grant us humble spirits that see ourselves as instruments of God's grace. And may we acknowledge the grace and goodness of God. So much so that now there's a balance here. I'm not saying you can't pray for healing. But pray God's will be done. Or just keep in mind it might be the grace of God that he takes your life early. God may be choosing to bless you by taking you home. May we spend some time thinking about that contemplating those issues. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. Help us, I pray, to have a proper response to your grace and goodness to us. Help us to point people to Christ and not to ourselves. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.